Friday, April 1st, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedwafo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, Britain pledges to provide more lethal aid to Ukraine to counter Russia's attacks. Uh, predominantly, they're obviously looking for equipment to defend its coastline because of Russian activity down there, and we'll be looking to see what more we can do. Ethiopia's authorities and rebels accuse each other of blocking aid deliveries to the embattled Tigray region. More than 40 trucks were due to depart this week from Samara, but a government statement says the trucks have not left because Abala Road is closed to traffic by TPLF forces. And scientists say they have finally assembled the full genetic blueprint for human life. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. Great Britain's Defense Minister Ben Wallace said that Britain and its allies have agreed to send more lethal weapons to Ukraine to help defend it against Russia's invasion. He says the lethal aid includes long-range artillery, ammunition and more anti-aircraft weapons. A number of countries have come forward either with new ideas or indeed more pledges of money. The United States obviously being at the forefront of that, but many countries are determined to not only continue but to step up their contribution. First of all, Ukraine need longer-range artillery and that's because of what the, so the Russian army has been doing, which is now digging in and starting to pound these cities' artilleries. The best counter to that is other long-range artillery, so they'll be looking for and getting more long-range artillery ammunition. Uh, predominantly, they're obviously looking for equipment to defend its coastline because of Russian activity down there, and we'll be looking to see what more we can do. They're also looking for armoured vehicles of, of some types, not tanks necessarily, but certainly protective vehicles so they can carry on, and more anti-air. All of that will be forthcoming uh, as a result of this conference. You know, President Putin is not the force he used to be. He is now a man in a cage that he built himself. He's isolated. He has international sanctions from all over the world uh, against him. Russia is a lesser country rather than a greater country as a result of him knowingly and deliberately breaking international law by invading. His army is exhausted. He has suffered significant losses. The reputation of this great army of Russia uh, has been trashed. And he has now got to live with the consequences not only uh, of what he's doing to Ukraine, but he's also got to live with the consequences of what he's done to his own army. This is Russia changing its focus. It's regrouping, reinforcing, moving towards the east of the country to look at using different tactics. We've seen it before. Uh, it always gets worse. It acts more civilian areas. So what we've certainly seen is their first efforts have been rebutted in many areas, but in other parts, they will now seek to move towards the east and the south and see what more they can do. And that's why it's really important we keep up the momentum. That's British Defence Minister Ben Wallace. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says Russian forces in Ukraine are not withdrawing, but regrouping. His comments follows Moscow's announcement about the scaling down military operations around Kyiv. Moscow says it is now focused on, quote, liberating, unquote, the Donbass region, partly controlled by separatists Russia has backed since 2014. Ukraine and the West have both reacted with suspicion to the announcement. The suspected ploy by Moscow in response to the heavy losses of men and equipment it has suffered over five weeks of war, in which Ukraine has mounted fierce and effective resistance. Stoltenberg says NATO will judge Russia on its actions, not on their words. According to our intelligence, Russian units are not withdrawing, but repositioning. Russia is trying to regroup, resupply, and reinforce its offensive 
in the Donbas region. At the same time, Russia maintains pressure on Kiev and other cities. So we can expect additional offensive actions bringing even more suffering. That's NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg. The United States is keeping a wary eye on the movement of Russian troops around Ukraine, especially near the capital city of Kyiv. I asked VOA's Pentagon correspondent Kalabab for the assessment of Pentagon officials on the latest Kremlin move. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby has said that while Russia claims that it's going to be conducting less military operations around the Kyiv and the Chernihiv area, they haven't really seen that. He did say that the Russians have pulled fewer than 20% of their forces away from those areas, but by pulling them out, they haven't shown that those forces are going to go home. In fact, he says it looks like they are simply repositioning, potentially going up to Belarus to get fuel and extra supplies only to be deployed back into Ukraine. So the Pentagon is very skeptical. Ukraine is still seeking for more lethal weapons. Is the Pentagon supplying? Yes. Absolutely. The Pentagon is supplying weapons like javelins, which are anti-tank weapons, stingers, which are anti-aircraft weapons. That has continued to flow into Ukraine, and it will continue to flow. Case in point, just a few days ago, the White House approved $800 million to go into Ukraine. Pentagon Press Secretary John Kirby said that from the moment that that was called into play, it took four days for the first shipments to arrive in Ukraine. So the press secretary is saying that this is incredibly fast and incredibly responsive. Is the Pentagon surprised at the resistance of the Ukrainian forces? Prior to now, everyone thought it was going to be a walkover, that Russian forces would just walk in, take whatever part they want, and then establish there. Well, the Pentagon is saying that it is definitely remarkable absolutely remarkable what the Ukrainians have done. They have stood their ground against one of the largest militaries in the world. That aside, you can point to a lot of factors. Primarily, Ukrainians are fighting for their lives and their country, and it's showing. In addition to that, you've got the U.S. and allies supplying them constantly. So, The Ukrainians still have more than 90% of their capabilities. That's because if they happen to lose any of them, you've got these shipments, like the one I was mentioning to you earlier, hundreds of millions of dollars coming in with equipment and aid for them. So the entire world is backing them up. That's VOA's Pentagon correspondent Carla Barb speaking with me from Washington. President Biden is taking what the White House calls a historic step to help control spiking gas prices as a result of sanctions on Russia for the Ukraine invasion. Associated Press Washington correspondent Saga Megani reports. The White House says the president's ordering the release of a million barrels of oil a day from the nation's strategic petroleum reserve for six months, by far the biggest ever release. That could lead to lower oil prices, though there was no meaningful shift after the president ordered earlier releases. Top Senate Republican Mitch McConnell says this is another half measure. President Biden is going to try to slap another Band-Aid on gas prices. McConnell says the focus needs to be on boosting domestic production. The White House says the president will pressure Congress to penalize oil and gas companies that lease public lands without actually producing energy. Sagar Magani, Washington. The United Nations says Thursday it is asking for a record $4.4 billion for assistance 
to the 20 million Afghans who need food, shelter, medical care, and other essentials, its biggest ever appeal. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. With more than 24 million Afghans, 60% of the population needing humanitarian assistance, the United Nations calls Afghanistan one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world. The U.S. humanitarian chief and emergency relief coordinator, Martin Griffiths, has been in Kabul for several days. He says the lives of tens of millions of people are hanging by a thread. He says he visited a children's hospital soon after he arrived and was deeply shaken by what he saw. Tiny, listless newborn babies to, to an incubator, suffering from acute and sometimes severe acute malnutrition. A mother caring for her severely malnourished baby after having already lost two children before. Since the Taliban takeover in August, Afghanistan's economy has gone into freefall. Billions of dollars in international aid have dried up, leading to the collapse of government services. People with no access to work have been forced to take out loans to survive, leading to a debt spike. In addition, Afghanistan is suffering from its worst drought in 30 years. The UN is urgently appealing to international donors for support for the Afghan people. This is a hard sell, though, as few countries have confidence in the de facto Taliban leader's intentions. This trust was recently tested when the Taliban reversed its pledge to allow girls a secondary school education. Qatar is a co-host of Thursday's pledging conference and longtime facilitator in the political and humanitarian affairs of the people of Afghanistan, advisor to Qatar's Deputy Prime Minister Majid Mohammed Al-Ansari, says his government condemns the Taliban decision and hopes it will reconsider that position very soon. We have stressed that this decision will have ramifications on the human rights. Uh, of Afghani people and on the economy of uh, Afghanistan and we stress the importance of uh, talking to the uh, Taliban uh, government and making it very clear to them that this is unacceptable and it needs to be settled as soon as possible. UN officials urge donors to swallow their political differences with the Taliban. They say the core of the pledging conference is to save lives and to give Afghans hope for the future. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Ethiopia's federal authorities and rebels in the Tigray region are accusing each other of blocking aid deliveries to Tigray that have been agreed to a week ago. The ongoing fighting comes as the U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia visited the Afar region where the aid trucks have been held up. Gilmore DeWitt reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Days after announcing a humanitarian truce, the Ethiopian government accused the Tigray People's Liberation Front of blocking trucks carrying critical food aid to Tigray. More than 40 trucks were due to depart this week from Samara, capital of Afar region. But a government statement says the trucks have not slept because Abala Road is closed to traffic by TPLF forces. In its own statement, the TPLF said nothing about the trucks but said the government is not committed to implementing the truce it announced, mainly the delivery of humanitarian aid to Tigray. Writing on Twitter, Kendia Gabrahiot, a member of the Tigray regional government, accused the Ethiopian authorities in Addis Ababa of deception and criticized the international community for welcoming the truce without ensuring the government would follow through. 
Speaking on TPLF Media, Geta Choreda, the head of external affairs for Tigray Regional Government, said tens of thousands of people in Tigray are on brink of starvation. He said the region's population needs urgent, unfettered access to food aid. Meanwhile, Tracy Jacobson, the U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia, visited the Afar region on Thursday. The ambassador met with the Afar regional president, Awal Arba, and community members to discuss fighting, which has spilled over from Tigray into Afar. According to the U.S. embassy in Addis Ababa, Jacobson pledged continued support from the U.S. toward the region's recovery, including direct humanitarian aid for those displaced by the conflict. It says that in 2022 alone, the U.S. committed more than $90 million for development of the region and urgent humanitarian aid. Gelmodawit for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. In other news, scientists said they have finally assembled the full genetic blueprint for human life, adding the missing pieces to a puzzle nearly completed two decades ago. An international team described the sequencing of a complete human genome instead of instructions to build and sustain a human life. They published their research Thursday in the journal Science. The previous efforts celebrated across the world was incomplete because DNA sequencing technologies were more limited at that time. Scientists said the first full picture of the genome will give humanity a greater understanding of our evolution and biology while opening the door to future medical discoveries. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voanews.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedua in Washington. European Union and Chinese leaders held their first summit in nearly two years Friday, with the Ukraine conflict expected to dominate the meeting by video link. Even before the war, relations between two major trading partners were marked by growing friction, and analysts say they have sharply different goals for the talks. Lisa Bryant has more for VOA. Plans for a European Union-China summit were already laid before Russia invaded Ukraine last month, although Beijing's formal announcement it would attend only came this week. On the agenda are issues like climate change, trade, and what the EU describes as universal values. But the Ukraine conflict tops it. Eric Mamer is spokesman for the European Commission, the bloc's executive arm. We consider that the duty of all countries in the UN is to work to stop this conflict, to get Putin's troops to withdraw and to respect the territorial integrity and the sovereignty of Ukraine. This is a message which I think is addressed not just to China, but to every country in the world that believes in the principles of the UN Charter. China casts itself as a neutral party to the Ukraine conflict. While Beijing says it's grieved by the war, Chinese and Russian foreign ministers meeting this week reaffirmed their strategic ties. These messages aren't new, but they offer an awkward backdrop for Friday's virtual summit between Chinese President Xi Jinping, Prime Minister Li Keqiang, and top EU officials Ursula von der Leyen and Charles Michel. China and the EU want very different things out of this uh, uh, summit. Francesca Giretti is an EU-China analyst at German think tank, the Mercator Institute for China Studies. She says China hopes the summit will offer insights into the EU's more geopolitical nature 
and its closer ties with Washington under the Biden administration. She says the EU wants China to pressure Russia to end the war in Ukraine or at least guarantee humanitarian corridors. Like the U.S., Europe also wants to ensure Beijing does not provide Moscow with military or economic support. They want one thing that is common to both of them, and that one thing is keep the communication between Beijing and Brussels going. The EU and China are major trading partners, but their ties have frayed over the years. Finalizing an investment pact between the two is on hold. The Commission decided in 2019 to deem China a systemic rival. Tara Varma heads the Paris office for the European Council on Foreign Relations Policy Institute. It was not even about values, but it was the idea that our systems of governance were not compatible and we're striving for different objectives. More recently, China has blocked imports from EU member Lithuania for drawing closer to Taiwan. Earlier this month, Lithuania called for scrapping the summit until Beijing indicates whether it stands with Russia or the West. Still, experts say the 27-member bloc is not in lockstep on China. Again, analyst Giretti. So both parties actually entered the summit knowing that there will be no deliverables, and they know that probably there will be no joint statement at the end of it. The summit's biggest takeaway may be that the EU and China have agreed to keep talking. Lisa Bryant for VOA News. Thousands of people remained under evacuation others Thursday as major flooding again hit parts of eastern Australia. For some communities, it is the second time in a month they have been inundated. At least two people have died and a third is missing. From Sydney, Phil Mercer reports. Intense and heavy rainfall Tuesday and Wednesday have brought the threat of flooding to parts of New South Wales, Australia's most populous state. The main street in Byron Bay, a popular seaside town 750 kilometres north of Sydney, was underwater for the first time in decades. Some areas have seen 430 millimetres of rain. Up to 30,000 residents have been ordered to leave their homes and many are without power. Emergency services have received hundreds of calls for help and 19 people have been rescued from floodwaters. Near the city of Lismore, 700 kilometres north of Sydney, the search continues for a nurse who's been missing for two days. It's thought she was trapped in her car by rising floodwaters. Lismore was inundated by the worst floods on record earlier this month. Janelle Safin, a lawmaker in the New South Wales Parliament, says local people have had enough. That's very much the local reaction. Oh my goodness, no, no, no. In town, the CBD, a lot of it is cleaned up, but not all of it. There's that feeling, and what now? Some of us have dried our houses, knocked the walls out, done a range of things, and now they're inundated again. The low-pressure system that left entire towns flooded has moved offshore. But the entire New South Wales coast has been warned Thursday to expect high waves, powerful winds and coastal erosion. Sydney, Australia's most populous city, has had its wettest march on records, according to the Weather Bureau. 537 millimetres of rain has been recorded. 
Summer in eastern Australia was dominated by the La Nina weather system that typically brings wetter conditions to eastern Australia. It is a naturally occurring pattern. However, experts believe the wet conditions are also related to climate change. Phil Mercer for VOA News, Sydney. This is Science in a Minute. As NASA continues to fine-tune the mirror system and scientific instruments on its new, powerful James Webb Space Telescope, the stalwart Hubble Space Telescope continues to amaze with phenomenal new discoveries. The Space Agency and the Space Telescope Science Institute are reporting that Hubble has set a new record by spotting the furthest star observed to date. Called Erendel, astronomers say the Hubble picked up light that left the star some 12.9 billion years ago. That's only 9 million years after the Big Bang. The star was spotted through an astronomical technique called gravitational lensing, which uses objects such as galaxy clusters to magnify distant objects behind them. Once online, the highly sensitive Webb telescope will be able to observe and confirm the astronomers' findings. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and a panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including a new round of peace talks aimed at ending Russia's invasion of Ukraine began in Turkey. As Russia's shelling continues throughout Ukraine, despite the Kremlin announcing new battle plans focused on the eastern region. Join us for Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voanews.com. Until next time, I am Chinia Rofo in Washington, wishing you a wonderful weekend. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny was sentenced to nine more years in a high-security prison on March 22nd. State Department spokesperson Ned Price condemned the politically motivated conviction and sentencing of Navalny on additional spurious charges. The United States has repeatedly urged the Russian Federation to immediately and unconditionally release Alexei Navalny and to end its campaign against his organizations and associates. The excessive prison term is a continuation of the Kremlin's years-long assault on Navalny and on his movement for government transparency and accountability. In 2020, Navalny was nearly poisoned to death by a chemical nerve agent, Novichok, at the hands of Russian security services. After receiving life-saving treatment in Germany, he returned to Russia in January 2021 and was promptly arrested and imprisoned. Navalny has continued to speak out against the Kremlin's suppression of freedom of expression in Russia and the increasing restrictions on the ability of Russia's citizens to access information and communicate freely with each other and the outside world. This campaign has intensified as the Kremlin seeks to hide the truth of its brutal war against Ukraine from its own people. More than 15,000 Russian citizens have been detained for taking part in anti-war protests since February 24th. 
Russia's communications authority has blocked access to most independent news outlets and several social media platforms and threatened journalists and citizens alike with jail time if they dare to openly discuss the war against Ukraine. In a message shared on Twitter, Navalny expressed gratitude to his supporters and added, The best support for me and other political prisoners is not sympathy and kind words, but actions. Any activity against the deceitful and thievish Putin regime. Any opposition to these war criminals. State Department spokesperson Price said Navalny's case is sadly one of many the Kremlin continues to brazenly pursue as it systematically ignores the constitutional rights of the Russian people and its international commitments to respect and ensure human rights and fundamental freedoms. Now more than ever, said spokesperson Price, the people of Russia must be able to hear voices of courage and integrity that tell the truth about the Kremlin's wrongdoing at home and abroad. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. This is the voice of America. Washington.